That's a bit of movie uh, and song trivia. Why on earth am I playing you love songs from 80s and 90s movies? Um, it's because we're talking about love today. We're talking about love, uh, and we need to talk about love because love permeates everything around us, isn't it? Just from those few clips, love is sung about, love is talked about, love is expressed, love is experienced in this world. And in this world, we use it a lot, and we say a lot of things that like we love pizza. And somehow that's, we use the same word love to say that we love our children. It's like somehow pizza and children are the same kind of equal thing. Obviously it's not, we know that, but we use the, love, the word love a lot in our vocabulary for a lot of things that we talk about and describe and express. I know that a couple in this church had their wedding anniversary yesterday, celebrating 28 years of marriage. And that is a covenant of love that is expressed between two people. So we see love in our society. It's something that we cannot get through life without wanting, needing, or experiencing. Love is also expressed in the Bible. Um, love is, if you remember uh, what Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart or your soul or your mind. And the great, the, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is commanded in the Bible for us to enjoy, to experience, and also to express. What else, is the, what else does the Bible say about love? Uh, in the church, we probably teach our children from the earliest ages that they can hear and understand us that God loves you. There's songs about it. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And the Bible does say things about God loving us. And we just have to talk about love because it's such a massive, encompassing, but very broad um, subject that we have to take time to engage with and hopefully experience as well as being part of God's family. Love is important. Love is essential to our beings. Uh, and we've been doing Infuse, our youth group, we've been doing a study on love over the last kind of um, term. And we spent a few weeks talking about different aspects of love. And part of that experience for me has been to recognize again that love is something that we sometimes talk about a lot in the church, but maybe some, we, we expect a lot in the church, but maybe we don't take time to think about its source, its power, and also uh, what God has for us as a body, as a community here in St. Albans, as a community of love. So we're going to be looking at the book of 1 John today. And John was, the author of, one, of the book of 1 John is, is the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how John describes himself in the Gospels of John, which he also wrote. And uh, let me just give you a bit of background about John. He was a, a fisherman. He was the brother of James. And you might remind, remember that uh, John and James were two brothers who always were arguing and jostling for position. They always wanted to be the ones who would stay. They asked him, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, I want to sit at your right and your left-hand side, the two brothers would say. And they were always people who were looking for position in that way. But John describes, in, in, in the book of 1 John, uh, he describes his, his experience of Jesus as this. It says in the book, uh, the very start of 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our own hands concerning Jesus, the word of life. 
So John introduces the book of 1 John by saying, I have witnessed the reality of Jesus. I have heard him. I have seen him with my own eyes. I have looked upon him. I have even touched his hands. I have experienced Jesus, the word of life. And out of that experience, out of that experience of knowing and experiencing Jesus, he describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced love in your life. I'm sure you have. Uh, and love changes you, doesn't it? Love is something that when you've experienced it, it does something within you. It, it transforms something in us. And the love of God that we're going to be talking about today is a love that does transform us, a love that does change us, a love that does take heart, take root in our hearts. So why, is, why does um, John write this book? So one John, they don't know exactly whom it was written to, but it was apparently written to maybe to the church in Ephesus as a reminder of what the Christian faith is and what it means for us. So John writes at the very end of the book of one John, just to framework uh, the, the introduction. One John is written for this very reason. It says in one John five thirteen, uh, John says, "I write these things, this whole book. I write this whole letter." That you who believe, that's Christians, those who believe, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John writes these things to those who believe so that, they, that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life, um, we can assume a lot of things, can't we? We kind of get on with life and, and the busyness of life, but we sometimes fail to stop and take notice or we lose track of what the essential things are of the Christian life. And love is one of those things that is the essential things of Christian life. To experience it, to, to receive it, to express it. And John writes it to Christians here. He doesn't write it to um, non-believers and he, he writes it specifically to Christians. He says, uh, you are reading this book and I pray that you would be again rooted in the simplicity and the uh, richness of what it means to walk with Jesus. So often I have to align myself again in reading simple things like the book of 1 John and remind myself again that this life is about a few simple things. And one of those things we're going to talk about today is love. Okay, so our main text is, uh, is going to be from uh, 1 John 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. So I think that's going to be the next slide. So let's, um, let's read this, shall we? And before we do, let's just uh, pray and ask that God would help us to understand and know uh, some more of his heart this morning. Father, thank you that we've already sung about your great love. We've already sung about uh, the majesty and beauty of Jesus. And I pray this morning as we read your word, as, as John wrote these words, as someone who experienced your love and been changed by it, I pray, Lord, it would have the same effect in us. God, that you are love. And we pray, Lord, that we would know something deeper and more stronger and a greater power, Lord, in our lives that compels us, Lord, to also love. God, thank you for your word. And pray, Lord, that you would minister to us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great, so we're in 1 John 4. So why don't we turn our Bibles to that? I'm going to read from the ESV. I know that some of you might have NIV, so NIV versions or other versions, and there might be a slight different variation in translation, but let's just read it together uh, in this version here. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this is love, 
Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I have three simple points this morning, and hopefully they, uh, they're quite clear from the passage. Um, but the three simple points I want to bring to us this morning is, as we think about the subject of love, is first that God's nature is love. The second point is that God's love is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, in sending his son, Jesus Christ. And the last point is that we then ought to love ourselves. So hopefully it's very clear three points, but we're going to take each one of those and just break it down and see what John has to say about each one of those, each one of those statements. So the first point, God's nature is love. So in John uh, chapter, chapter 4, verse 7, it says these two statements. It says, love is from God, but also God is love. So from those two statements, we, we can infer quite a few things and think about quite a few things of what this means. Firstly, that God does not just love. He doesn't just choose to love on a Monday, and on Tuesday, he decides not to love. On a Wednesday, maybe, after breakfast, he feels a bit better about himself, and he decides to love again. But when he gets to nighttime, he's tired and hungry, and he decides to say, I'm not going to be very loving today. You know, God's love does not change. It doesn't change from day to day or by circumstances. God's love loves because he is love. Everything that he does, everything that he says, everything he acts upon, his very nature is one of love. And for us, it's sometimes a bit hard to grasp because I don't know about you, but for me, love kind of flows sometimes through circumstances or it flows for out of me when I'm feeling maybe a bit more confident or a bit more secure or things like that. But the Bible is very clear that God doesn't shift. He doesn't change. He's consistent in his love. And it's kind of expressed maybe this way. Just as water is wet, yeah, water is wet. That's how we know what wetness is because we touch water. And fire is hot. God is love. He doesn't change. It's in the nature of his essence. He permeates his very being. It's every attribute, every action he takes, every word he speaks, everything that he lets into your life is done through the very nature of his love for you and I. And it really encourages me to think about that because it means that he's, his love, I don't, I don't compare God's love compared to the love that I have. There are essences of love that God puts, allows me to experience, but his love isn't limited to, to just what I know. It's an amazing thing that God has a love and he is infinitely, eternally able to continue to love us. But where does love start? It's interesting to think about where, where, where the root of love is. And the root of love is actually in God himself. I was thinking about this this week, that um, love existed within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before we were even created. Just think about that for a moment. That it says in John 17, so John writing again, but in the Gospels, Jesus prayed this to the Father. Father, so John 17 verse 24 says, Father, you love me before the foundation of the world. Just think about that for a moment. There. God's love didn't start when you and I were created. He didn't go, oh, it's created now. Now I can start loving. God loved within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relationship. Matthew 3, 17 says this, the Father's voice at Jesus' baptism, what does he say? 
the father says to the son, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased with. John 14, 31, Jesus reciprocates that love back to the father. He says this, I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. So God's love existed prior to each universe being created. It, 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 it's, it's an experience that he himself has every single moment of his being as being God. However, we can try and understand what the Trinity is and what God is. He is love within himself. And um, by his very nature and by his very being, what God does, he shares his love. He experiences it within himself. And what he does then is says that, I love my, it sounds self-serving, doesn't it? But God loves himself and he loves and he then doesn't keep it to himself. But what love does, it, it offers itself to other people. I'm not sure you probably experienced this. Some of you maybe here are parents and um, you love uh, your child and you love them, but your love is expressed by sharing your love to them. And that's what God does to himself. God loves by giving himself to others. Can you think about this for a moment? Uh, Wayne Grudem, who's wrote um, a number of commentaries and, and, and broke down a lot of kind of Bible doctrines, he writes this and summarizes God's love meaning this. God's love means that God eternally gives himself to others. God shares himself with you and I. So when he created you and I, he decided not because out of need, God wasn't lonely, God wasn't sad and kind of thinking, oh, I'm a little bit bored now with nothing, I'm going to create the world to entertain myself. Or to... God says, out of love, I created you. Out of love, I decided to give myself to creation and to you and I. Love didn't come about because he suddenly made me or you. Love existed in the person of the Godhead. And he decided to create us out of love, not out of need, to share in that majesty and that glory. God's love and his beauty, and we sing about it today, didn't we? We sung about uh, who God is, and we sung about his wonderful majesty and his beauty. And what God's love does, actually, is invites us into experiencing the most wonderful, the most beautiful, the most delightful, the most perfect, most glorious being that there is, and that is God himself. God exists, and he offers himself to creation to treasure and experience him. And there is no one like him. I was, uh, I was grasped by this concept, and it took me a while uh, when I was in my 20s to try to figure out what this meant, that God actually gives himself the best of himself to us. And um, there's, there's an author called um, John Piper who really helped me to kind of grapple with this thinking about what does it mean to, for God to love me. And he said this in, in a sermon, and I just want to quote it, which really helps to, uh, to articulate, I think, what love of God means. John Piper writes this, If God is to love you, what must he give you? He must give what is best for you. And the best thing in all the universe is God. If he were to give you all health, the best job, the best spouse, the best computer or phone or whatever it may be, the best vacations, the best, the best success in any realm, but yet withhold himself, that would amount in the end, to hating you. But if God gives himself to you, even if nothing else beside happens, he loves you infinitely. Just think about those words for a moment. If God were to love you, he will give what's best to you, and what he gives is himself. And that's a really 
hard concept for us to, to, uh, to, to fathom, doesn't it? Because I don't know about you, but love sometimes is received for me selfishly. I think when I think of love and God love me, I think about firstly about myself. But what the love of God means, if God is love, that means it moves me off the center spot and puts God as a centerpiece. It puts him as the center of importance in all the universe. It places him as the glorious one, the holy one, who there is none like him. And it means that we get to glory in the beauty and majesty of God. And maybe that's something we need to think about is who do we find as the center of, of love in our lives? Do I place myself or do I lift up God as higher and more glorious, and more wonderful and place him at the center point? Because that is what God's love is. He places himself at the forefront and offers himself to each one of us to glory and majesty and to enjoy forever. I don't know if you've heard about the um, Westminster Catechism, which is a summation of, of Christian doctrine and belief. But one of the summations is this, and it talks about what is the, the question is, what is the purpose of man? Why were we created? And uh, the chief end or the purpose of man, based on this catechism, is this. We are to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the key thing here is enjoyment. God offers what is best, which is himself, and we get to enjoy him forever in eternity. I hope that sits well with you, but what are the implications of this? If God is love, if God loves, then firstly, we have to remind ourselves, and this is sometimes hard to grasp, but God loves himself. God really glories in all that he is, not in a selfish, self-seeking way, but he offers it because he is wonderful, he is glorious. Everything that God does is loving, just as everything he does is just and right. He works out love in justice. He works out love in righteousness. He works out justice and love together. And lastly, the implications of that God is love is that God is committed to loving you and I. He gives himself to us. Even if you don't receive it, firstly, as love. The Father's love for you is always towards you. We might not know it in our circumstances. We might be going through a tough or difficult time. We might have challenges in our lives. But the love of God is faced towards you, his creation. And that requires us to trust and believe that he is love in every circumstance. Point two. How do I know that really that God loves me? And John clearly moves on to say this, that God's love is revealed in sending of his son as a time, as a, something that actually physically happened, God demonstrated his love to us in this. It says in verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So if we go back to... Um, Wayne Grudem's um, definition of what love is. God eternally gives of himself to others. God has eternally given himself to us through the person of his son by sending Jesus to restore our relationship with him. God's self-giving nature, and it is expressed most clearly in history as this single event of sending Jesus Christ to earth to live a righteous, pure, holy life, to die in our place, taking the punishment for sin and rising again to new life to give us hope and a future. Verse 10 says this, and this, is, this, this struck me while I was preparing so strongly, that this is love. Firstly, not that we love God, 
Love doesn't start because I'm lovable. God didn't decide to love me because you and I were in some way um, beautiful or, uh, or, or reciprocating love back to him or offering him something. Love started because God is love. You and I didn't earn or deserve God's love. And uh, I've got a few verses here which kind of maybe spell the condition of what we were before Christ rescued us. God's love wasn't dependent on our moral behavior. It says in Jeremiah 17, the heart, the human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God's love didn't start with my moral conduct. It didn't start with me doing the right thing first or putting the first step in the right direction. Even says this in Romans 5, God showed his love for you and I in that while we were still sinners, still enemies of him, Christ died for us. And for me, that's such a relief that if the love of God on me or you depended on us being right, on us doing the right thing, in us not messing up, we would be in, in a hopeless place, wouldn't we? We would be in a hopeless place. Imagine if we lived under that kind of fear that if I don't do the right thing, God's not going to love me. Or if I speak harshly to someone, or if I mistreat someone, or think a bad thought, suddenly God's not going to love me. No, that is false. God loves you. He sent his son. He's in love. Before you were even, his, you, while you were still enemies, while you are still rebellious against him. Because God is love, he lavishes us selfless on selfless, self-centered people like me who are rebellion against him. I didn't love him, but God loved me. And what did he do to do that? Verse 10, it says he sent his son. And he sent his son here for a very specific reason. It says he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And I know in, in other versions, this word is translated differently. It's translated, or this term is translated as, in the NIV, it says atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the picture here that God wants to give us is that Jesus was sent for his very specific purpose. He was sent uh, as a propitiation, which means that Jesus Christ became the sacrifice that bore the wrath of God against you and I. So God's love, it says here, is this, that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ instead of on you and I. God's wrath was poured out on the innocent, sinless Savior instead of you and I. We being dead in our transgressions, being enemies of God, Jesus says, I will be the sacrifice that takes on the wrath and judgment of God in your place. And he did that through this, 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that Jesus died. He laid his life down for each one of us. And sometimes, as I know we, we, this is what we sing about every single Sunday. We sing about the blood of Jesus. We sing about his sacrifice. We sing about him taking our place. We just think about amazing grace. We sing about it. But my question is to you this morning is, do you live within that? Do you really trust do you really every single day trust and start and go, God, you've shown your love to me as a sure thing. No matter what the circumstances are happening in my life right now, no matter if life is going well or going bad, whether I can control my circumstances, whether I'm out of control of my circumstances, God, you've shown your love to me in this. 
Yet you sent your son for me, and I will trust and stand firm within that truth. God laid down his life for you and I. So what are the implications of, of this, that God sent his son? God's love does not depend on me. It's about grace. It's grace, 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 grace. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. But yet he does it still to us. His love does not depend on what my circumstances are or how I am feeling. Secondly, God gives us the greatest joy and purpose in life by rescuing us from death and wrath and judgment and gives us life through Jesus. And all of this requires a response from us. All of this, if we are standing here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've heard this gospel, this good news for the first time, then what God requires of us is to receive that love by believing. It says in John 3.16, simply this, that God so loved the world that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That his wrath, God's wrath against you and judgment is not poured out against you anymore but is absorbed by the broken body of Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed on the cross for you and I. So my last question to you is this, will you receive his love this day? Will you live in that? Will you believe and trust in God's gift of love to you and live in light of that? Third point, we ought to love one another. I think we all know this, don't we? (laughs) And we all know that some people are easier to love than other people. Um, I find my life, my, my wife, my life, my wife very easy to love. Um, that's probably why I married her. And it's probably why some of you who married your spouses and things maybe did. But, um, but we find it easy sometimes to, to love certain people, don't we? And I know if we're being honest, there are some other people who we find it more difficult to love. Um, and it's, it's, it's funny why, why in the Bible it never draws distinctions between this kind of person or that kind of person. And I'm not sure why we do it as human beings. We, uh, I think for me, we're, we're selfish. We are secu- insecure people. We, are, uh, we have favoritism. We have biases. We, we have certain characteristics about ourselves. But if we're really honest, what, God doesn't excuse any of that. He says, in light of this, you are to love one another. In light of this amazing grace, this love that you've received, John says this, beloved And I love how he starts this part of the verse in verse 11. It says, beloved, you are beloved, first and foremost. Trust in the love of God has for you. If if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. Um, And the key word here is how we understand the word ought. And um, ought can be be maybe translated or or understood in this way. and this is not the correct way you should understand or, but it's, maybe it could be used in this way if you read the verse. Um, it's like, if I do the cooking, you ought to do the washing up. It's like obligation. Or if I wash the car, you clean the dishes. You know, whatever it is, that there's, there's somehow, because I've done something for you, then you've got to do something for me. And that is not how the Bible uses that word ought, because with that becomes guilt with that becomes obligation, with that becomes a sense of, oh, do I really have to love this person? Oh, God loves me. I better love them. I better give them a coffee. I better give them a hug. Oh, I better go to church. The word ought isn't used in that way in this passage, but it can be often read like that as a guilt trip, can't it? <laughs> um, the word ought is meant in this way, as fish ought to, fish ought to swim in water, 
Birds ought to fly in the air. Born-again Christians ought to love. It's a natural thing. If you are walking with Jesus, if you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you are living in the love of God, if you're abiding with him, then you ought to love. There can't be any other way. There cannot be any other way in which our nature now in Christ operates. I think so often in churches and communities, we, we try and say, I've got to love this person, I've got to love this person, rather than saying, Holy Spirit, the first gift, the first fruit that you mentioned is what? Love. Then there's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those things. But the first one that the Holy Spirit gives us, you could say, as priority, you could say, is love. So my question to us is that, if we are born again Christians, if the love of God, we've received that, if we've received Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God is living in us, we then ought to love. It's our new nature. It's our created nature in Christ. Because God is love, he doesn't just let us experience love as a reality, but he imparts love into us. Yeah? He doesn't just let us kind of receive it and kind of sing about it, but he says, actually, now because you are my creation in Christ Jesus, I've given you my Holy Spirit, you now are imparted with love. And that's such a different way to understand it, isn't it? Because again, we don't rely on us loving people out of our own strength, but we go, Holy Spirit, I walk by the Spirit, not by flesh. I choose to obey the law of the Spirit. I choose to welcome you, Holy Spirit, every my, into my day and I ask you, God, to help me to love as you have loved me. That's how we operate as a church. That's how we ought to love because God has taken root in our lives and imparted his love to us. Verse 12 says this, no one has seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. When God lives in each one of us, his love is made perfect in you. So why don't we invite God's love into us every single day? God, help me to love as you have loved. Help me to be a vessel and a conduit of your love through my life to my brothers and sisters in this body. Help me to be a conduit of love to the world that needs to know what true love is, to know that you are love and that you're now living in me so that I can live out that to others who don't know you. If you are born again, your fruit is love. It's a supernatural empowerment that you have to rely on and follow the Holy Spirit for. If you are loving out of your natural self, you're going to run dry. If you're relying on your personal nature or just to kind of, you know, some people here are just lovely people and that's a God's gift to us. But if we solely rely on that, we're going to fall short. We are going to fall towards selfishness. We're going to fall back onto our past hurts, our pain. We're going to run out of capacity to love. But if we are fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no lack of capacity. There is no lack of experience that God does not pour into our lives so that we can love other people. And that's where we need to be, church. Not relying on ourselves, but relying on his grace and his goodness and his spirit. Amen? And as we close this morning, I just want to just reflect a little bit on just one particular verse in, in John 3. 1 John 3. Um, how are the born again, that's you and I, how are we supposed to love? And it says this in 1 John 3, just as a way of giving us an application and some handles for how we are supposed to love. 1 John 3 says this, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought 
to lay down our lives for our brothers. Try to pick some application out of that. <laughs> we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I'm not sure what this looks like for each of us, to lay down your life for somebody else. Because that's what our new nature calls us to. Our new nature in Christ says, our impulse, my impulse now, is to sacrifice so that others may be lifted up. My impulse now is that I don't want to, ex- to prosper at the expense of other people. My n- new nature now in Christ says, I'd rather other people prosper and it costs me. And that may look like different things for each one of us. It may not mean physically that we are laying down our lives like death is on the doorstep. But what it may mean for us is that we choose to sacrifice. We choose to serve. We choose to lift up the needs of other people. We serve to give person a coffee first before we get it ourselves. It means that maybe we choose to wake up early in the morning to get here at 8.30 and prepare for worship so that when we come here, things are ready and prepared and songs are ready. Maybe it requires us to bring a meal for somebody else, to cook extra and to use our money and our finances so that other people who don't have that capacity can be lifted up. I'm not sure what that looks like for you, but the commandment here is that we, because we have been loved and because our nature is now love, we choose to find ways to express that love in sacrificial service to other people. And that's the handle which John gives us in closing this passage here. I'd rather that you prosper than I, because I know that I've got Jesus who's already got his face towards me. Just as a way of closing this, this, this morning, I, I had a bit of time this week while we were on, on holiday just to reflect a little bit about, about life. Um, this week I turned 37, which is a lovely age. Uh, it's older than I think I thought I was when I woke up that morning. <laughs> but uh, 37 looks a bit older, doesn't it, than, uh, than I thought. But in thinking about, about when I woke up this morning, that other morning, uh, I woke up before the alarm clock went off. Uh, the sun was kind of rising a little bit. And you know those mornings where you get a bit of time just to, in the silence, where everyone is still snoring away, um, you get a time just to kind of let your thoughts run a bit. And I felt God allowing my thoughts to run back to when I was maybe around 20 years ago, when I was about 17 or 18 years old. And uh, it allowed me just to reflect on the way in which I had received God's love through the church. And maybe this is an encouragement for you, for you that as we take time maybe this week, maybe this holiday, you can take time to maybe reflect about how God has poured out his love to you through other people. And just as I was reflecting on the last maybe 20 years of life, um, uh, there, were, there, were f- there were four specific things that God brought to my mind. And maybe you'll relate to some of these as well. I remember when I was a 17-year-old uh, and we went to youth group uh, and we were being crazy teenagers, were throwing pillows around and we had youth group in our, in our pastor's house. And he told me afterwards that he normally puts all his precious stuff away because we'll smash it otherwise. And um, on this occasion, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't put this, this vase, this beautiful rainbow-colored vase was sitting on the side coffee table. And we were swinging pillars around. And I swung and I whacked this vase. And it fell off the table. And you know everything slows down? And it, it, it fell to the ground. I thought, maybe it'll bounce. But it didn't. And it, and it smashed into these beautiful colored pieces onto the floor. And I thought, you know, you get that sinking feeling of, I'm dead. Um, and I remember kind of going, should I just hide it? <laughs> Kick it under the chair and move on. And maybe by tomorrow, you know, maybe someone else will take the blame for it. 
But I, I owned up and I went to my pastor at the time when I was in that youth group. I said, Steve, I, 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 I was messing around and I, and I broke this vase. And he told me uh, that, that, Ed, that that vase was a, a present for Crystal, his wife, and, and himself at their wedding from his brother. And it was really, really precious. But the th- main words that I remember he's speaking over me was that, but Ed, you are more precious than this vase. And I don't know what it means for you as being a teenager, but when you hear something like that from somebody who loves you, who's, who's, who's expressed love to you through many ways, but in this very moment chooses to choose you over something else that was precious to him, that changes, that changed me forever. You just see the power that love has within the church. It's imparted to me as a 17-year-old kid that, man, this is what the love of God is, choosing me over something else and saying that I am precious. Maybe you've experienced something like that from somebody else in, in, in the church. That you've experienced that blessing of being chosen and being uh, valued over something else. I remember James and Lisa, another set of group uh, uh, leaders in my youth group when I was growing up, before going to university, um, they took time to take a load of us together uh, for, for a couple of, a couple of uh, afternoons and talk about life in university and preparing us how to live out a Christian life at university. And I remember them sharing authentically about their struggles. Uh, I remember this young couple sharing about their struggles with sexuality and temptation and, and things when they went, we're going to go away to an environment where we didn't have our parents around us. They talked about finding a church. They talked about fellowshipping with God. And I remember them giving us, giving me a copy of um, His Utmost for His Highest, which is a devotional book, which I still have uh, in my bookshelf. And they just popped into my mind this week, and I was reflecting on life and saying that, wow, that small act of sacrifice, that small act of being authentic and being real about the dangers and struggles of life, as a young person, changed my life. It guarded me for years to come and set me on a path I I pray and praise God for, uh, to fear him and to obey him throughout my university years. And maybe that's something for you, that you, being part of this church, will choose to be authentic to somebody else in love so that they also can be released life into their lives. I remember Doug and Helen. uh, They were an, an elderly couple in their 60s, must be, um, and I remember they carried the aroma of Christ. I didn't know them very well. They're my, my mum's friends, really. But every single time they came over, they, they were so authentic in their love. And it left an impression on me. And it wasn't just that. It was their practical help, which we had, we had a car in Hong Kong, and it kept breaking down. Everything that went wrong with it went wrong. Um, we were driving down the, 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 the motorway once, and then for some reason, the horn went off, and it wouldn't turn on, turn off. And we're just driving down uh, the road with the horns going, and we tried to rip the steering. It didn't have an airbag, which is a good thing. It's a really old car. But it, it, we didn't have an airbag, so we you know, ripped off the cover, trying to find out where that little joint, where the, where the contact was for stopping the horn blaring. But basically, we just drove with this horn blaring. Other days, the, the aircon broke. Other days, the, the locks broke, so we couldn't open the car door or we're inside the car and we couldn't get out because the, the locks kind of seized up. And Doug, this amazing man, uh, my dad was away at that time, in, 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 uh, working in China, I think, at the time, when we were in Hong Kong, so he wasn't there, the, the man of the house. And I didn't know what to do with a car, kick it, I don't know. Um, but he came and he just patiently would fix things for my mum. 
And he wasn't young. He was an older guy, but he just came and fixed things. And I just remember him serving my mum in that way while my dad was away. And that left an aroma of Christ for me. Maybe for you, you have the gift of practical help. And God's calling you to show love to this community by just giving your hands and your feet and your time and your energy. And I'm so glad that somebody here who uh, showed me love when I first came to London is here in this room. And um, I remember Wayne and Ellen, who are really good friends of ours. I remember as an 18-year-old turning up in London for university, not knowing anybody and thinking, who are my friends going to be? Um, I remember Wayne and Ellen uh, inviting me over for a meal uh, with a few of us. And the impression that that left me um, as, as a young kid, fresh off the boat, in a big city, not knowing anybody, um, going to a church, and these guys just going, you know, come over. They didn't know me. They didn't owe anything to me. They didn't have to do anything for me. But their hospitality and their welcome, uh, again, just solidified me in such an amazing way that God's love was transmitted and translated to me in these people who wanted to pour into my life. And maybe that's for you. Maybe you have a gift of just laying out hospitality, maybe just welcoming people for a meal, maybe serving them or befriending them when no one else is befriending them. Simple things. When we live by the Spirit, God's love is in us. It's our nature. We have to love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that, first and foremost, that you are love. You are a God who is to be adored, to be worshipped, to be magnified above everything else. Lord, as we open our eyes to you this morning, we want to pray that you would be our first love again. We thank you for Jesus, whom you sent to be the propitiation for our sins, to take on the wrath of God and to allow us to have your favor. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. Thank you, Lord God, that you give us a new nature. You give us a spirit to allow us to love from a place of strength and a place of power and a place of authority. Lord, may this church be a place where you reign supremely and your spirit imparts love through each one of us to those around us. God, as we close this morning, I want to pray that you would, first and foremost, just secure us again, Lord, in knowing that we are loved. Not because of anything that we have done or do or are, but because that's who you are. And I pray for anyone here who needs to receive that this morning. Just a fresh touch that God loves you. He pours out his favor on you. That by the Holy Spirit, that you would know something of that love this morning again, afresh. And it would spur you on and refresh you every single day and empower you for acts of love and service. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that as we go out from this place, as we share love and fellowship together this morning, that we would be authentic in every single way and that people in this church, Lord, when they come in these doors, would be loved. And by this, Lord God, that your glory would be known, that people would see, Lord, your love and glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.